give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. My name is Corey Tulliba, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert Garbage Time Gim. Albert, what's going on, brother? What's going on, uh, old friend? <laughs> it's, it's been, been a minute, huh? I know. It's, it's been, been a couple forever. weeks. Yeah, but we have a lot going on. I uh, do want to say that I'm so committed to us coming back that we are currently recording during game five of the ALDS where my Yankees are playing the Indians. Oh, sorry. Oh, wow. Oh, I almost messed up there. The Guardians. Uh, you I almost apologize. got us canceled. I, know. <laughs> I apologize, everyone. The Guardians. Uh, but look, the Yankees are already up 3-0 in, in the first inning, so this is a perfect time to record. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to tell some stories. And uh, miss you, bud. It's been a while. It has been. And... um to all the listeners, thank you for, for sticking with us. We have a major announcement. Uh, if you've been following along with the rest of the No Ceilings crew, this may be something that you've already heard. But this is going to be the last episode of the Draft Deck NBA Draft Podcast on this feed. I, I, I paused for a second to, to give you a little suspense. Uh, the Draft Deck NBA Draft Podcast isn't going anywhere except for we are moving over to the No Ceilings NBA Draft podcast feed. Um, we have decided that as a crew, instead of having our individual podcasts, we are still going to do our individual shows, but we're going to collaborate onto one feed. So we're going to have Draft Deeper. We are going to have uh, the No Ceiling show. We are going to have the Draft DAC. We're going to have Deep Dives. And we're going to have a special new show that I believe we're calling Home and Away, which is going to be hosted by each individual member once a week uh, of the No Ceilings crew, where we bring on outside guests uh, to come provide insight and, and chop it up with us. So uh, it, it's very exciting. Um, I think that the the fact that we're going to be able to now deliver daily podcasts, just as we're able to deliver daily NBA draft content um, to our website, is is going to be a game changer, and it's it's going to allow us to grow and do some really cool things. So I, I'm I'm excited for for the move. But uh, again, this will be the last episode on this feed of the Draft Tech NBA Draft Podcast. We will give you a little like thirty second commercial reminding you um, when the move actually happens. It's going to start next week, week of October twenty fourth. We will be recording on or we'll be releasing our episodes when on, what was it on Thursdays? I think we're, I, believe I think we're, or Thursdays. we're either going to be on, on Wednesdays or Thursdays. Right. Um, but uh, we'll be on, on the no ceilings NBA draft feed. I mean, big news, exciting news. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes a move can be scary, but luckily we know who we're moving in with. So <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> we do. And maybe that's why it should be scary. <laughs> no, it's going to be great. Um, it really is. But, you know, for this last episode on this feed, as we prepare to, you know, we're, we're getting closer, you know, NBA starting um, today, tonight. Uh, and so we have the NBA season coming. And that means that college basketball is is creeping up upon us as well. Um, there's been some high school, you know, action that we'll talk about. And then we haven't talked about it yet. And let's just get right to it. We'll start. Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson both 
took place in one of the coolest, you know, exhibitions that I think has ever happened on a basketball court. And my West Coast dwelling friend, you actually got to witness it live as a credentialed member of the media. You saw Scoot versus Victor. So um, just off the bat, I because we already covered those guys from based on their last season's film. You know, we really praised Scoot a lot, broke down his game, you know, a lot for him to work on, but we were, you know, very high on Scoot. We broke down Victor's game. We were very high on Victor, but I think we were very hard on him because of how he has been uh, talked about in the the scouting space, as well as how much uh, potential he really has and, and why we think he could live up to it. So we wanted to really, you know, not just say he's going to be this awesome guy, but he has real legitimate things to work on. So I think it's cool that we covered those guys and then we got to see the updated version of them as their games have started and went underway and see what they worked on. So just before we get into the actual like breaking down and and talk about what you saw, what what was just your first reaction to seeing Victor Wembanyama on a basketball court? Um, It was uh, pretty jarring. You know, and Corey, honestly, even like your whole description of me being there, the whole experience was kind of amazing to me, even now, uh, when I think about it, uh, when I told people like around me in my life, not like, like my close friends, but my close friends know, and they know the grind that, you know, we're on right now. But if I told people in my life or around me who are like, you know, acquaintances or whatever, they're like, oh, you're going to Vegas. Oh, you're going to go see him play. But the fact that as you mentioned that we Ricker and I were actually credential media. We we're actually on the floor, got to see them warm up. It was a pretty surreal moment. I think for both of us that we were at like literally on the floor in like what we feel like might be maybe a, a historic basketball moment, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was pretty amazing to be there. It was such an honor to be there under the no ceilings name, the no ceilings flag, uh, which was awesome for us. But if I can I really quickly, I, I think, seeing Victor on the floor uh, really challenged me a lot, Corey, because as you just mentioned, we were pretty tough on him. I think we were tough, but fair, uh, which I think is possible, right? We were tough, but fair, but um, we had some critiques and there were things that we believed that he needed to work on. But once I got on the floor and I stood next to him, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh my God, he is much larger than Chet. And as you know, I got to see Chet up close and personal last year as well. And he is substantially larger than Chet, um, which means something, you know, and um, that was my first initial reaction for sure. I I mean, I can't even imagine what it is he looks like, because just seeing him and you talk about like how much bigger he is than Chet, like seeing the picture like the 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 now kind of famous picture uh, at the FIBA tournament where like Victor's in the middle and you have like Nikola Jovic, Jaden Ivey and Chet all standing there and Victor is just like way taller than them and it's like this kid is supposed to be listed at 73 uh I don't think so right like do, do you think he like could be a legitimate like 7 foot 5 like I, I know he's they're they're talking about him without shoes but I, he just looks like He's unlike anything I think we've ever seen physically. Cause I mean, obviously, you know, you, you look at Yao. Right. Um, he's also somebody that, unlike we've, we've ever seen it. Cause he was that tall, but also he was like really like sturdy. He yeah. had, he was like a tree trunk. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was bizarre to see. And now if you look back at that, like sometimes I'll just Google it. And like I showed I, the other week, I was like 
I told my wife to Google uh, Yao Ming Shaq and just see them standing next to each other. And it's like, Yao might be like seven foot nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know what he's, <laughs> I know he was listed at seven, six, but he's yeah. like substantially taller than Shaq as well. Um, I'd imagine like seeing Victor uh, in person like that has got to be one of the most jarring experiences <laughs> that anyone could ever have. Corey, I, I love that you bring up the Yao thing because I actually did the same thing recently, which is kind of weird uh, that we both did that. But I, I mean, it kind of, Victor will make you look up Yao because for those of us that are old enough to remember Yao Ming when he first got to the NBA and over the course of his career, um, Yao, to his credit, also bulked up. Like I know he he dealt with a lot of different injuries, but when you see his progression over his time in the NBA, it's not like he stayed stagnant. Yao did bulk up, but even when he came in, the there was number one incredible touch Yao Ming from anywhere on the court. Oh, his touch was unbelievable. So skilled. Uh, unbelievably skilled with the handle as well but for his size his footwork was just crazy was absolutely crazy and i bring that up Corey, because when you get on the floor with victor during warm-ups and you see him doing the stuff that he's doing that's the stuff that really jacks you up it's like oh okay so there is a very real possibility by the time that he gets drafted that he might be seven five seven six Right. But yeah. the way that he's moving on the court and he's gliding and mo- like, and literally attempting and executing guard like moves, even during warmups, and then also going into the post and working with like their strength coach or whatever and like doing different things. It's it's incredible. It really is incredible. I walked into that arena and that trip in general, wanting to be like really harsh on him, wanting to find all of the negatives and all the things that he needed to work on. And I left in a very different place. So it's a good place to start. Yeah, 100%. Um, what was like the feeling inside the arena, the energy, like as everybody like lined up at half court and the ball is about to tip off, like just what what was the, the feeling like inside the arena? The first thing I'll say is uh, the coolest part of it all is all the NBA was there. And you could you can tell um, we walked in there for warm ups and we're watching stuff and literally every single person that's walking by us is either a GM or a president or a scout or whatever. The whole league was there. Right. So there was already kind of a buzz in the building. It wasn't a packed building because we're talking about Vegas in the middle of the week. Right. How many people are actually going to be there in terms of fans? Yeah. And also, it's not like the G League Ignite or the Metropolitans have like a large following. So it really was like a private screening for NBA teams is what it felt like, right? Like there's this new Oscar award winning or Oscar nominated winning movie that's about to come out and they have a special screening just for like actors and directors or the like the Screen Actors Guild or whatever. That's what it felt like. And it felt like it was just the NBA there in like a nice, like close knit, intimate type of um arena and place and then everyone was just excited like you see all the scouts like we sat very close to mitch kupchak and he's just like even him like he's trying not to show emotions but you could hear him like sometimes like victor would do something he just hmm you know he's like writing something (laughs) down in his old notebook also he's like so tall like he's like taking up four or five seats by himself but that was the vibe Corey. i think there was a very quiet but also excited vibe in the building where everyone's like okay cool we're just gonna witness something we've never seen before and let's just all laugh together at at how preposterous all this is yeah it was preposterous on both ends from victor and scoot right i mean that first game scoot came out 
And, you know, he heard all the chatter, you know, he heard Victor say, like, if I was never born that, you know, maybe he could be the number one pick. And he came out and he's like, my mentality is, is kill, kill, kill. Right. Like, and, and that's what he came out to do. I, I think watching him, you could tell he, he knew the stage. Both guys knew the stage. They both knew the moment because even if there weren't going to be a ton of people there, they knew that if they put on this show, it was going to be the only thing that the entire NBA community speaks about, um, which is what happened for basically the next two weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you couldn't listen to any national broadcast without hearing about these guys, which is at this point in time is rare, right? Like this draft community that we've all cultivated, uh, us, no ceilings, our listeners, everybody involved in the scouting community. We we treat this like a, a year long thing, but it's not what the rest of the, the basketball world does. But it felt like that because of how they came out. And I mean, Scoot, man, like knocking down off the bounce jumpers, getting to the rim, finishing, you know, around and through and over guys, I, his fearlessness. Right. It was pretty unbelievable to watch that. Yeah we just talked about why Victor Wembanyama is this jarring human being who's so insane to look at. And Scoot's like, no fucks given. I'm going at his chest. You know, he, he, he was just, he looked at it as an opportunity to be like, doesn't matter who you're going to put in front of me. I'm going at this dude's throat. That I, Corey, I couldn't have put it better. He came out pissed off is the best way. I think I could put it like, he just came out angry and was like, look, I dude, it was this thing where in the first couple of minutes, I think he he hit a jump shot or something, and he's coming back down the court backpedaling. And you know, Corey, when you're excited and you clap your hands really hard, but you clap them so hard that in your head you're like, shit, that kind of hurt a little bit. You know, <laughs> it was one of those where Scoot was so amped up, he's like pounding his hands, and like he gave Leonard Miller a high five that was so hard that I thought Leonard Miller's hand fell off. Like it was one <laughs> Maybe of that's those, why he missed all those shots. Maybe we can blame Scoot now. But the energy and it was full on like look buddy like everyone here all these front front office execs clearly came to see you but understand this this is a shared stage. You are not the star and I'm not like a supporting actor. We are co-stars in this drama that we're drawing up together here in the middle of the desert. You also to mention the dollar loan center is not near the strip. This is like a 25 minute drive from the strip in like, I have no idea, like this random dusty area of Nevada, (laughs) but it was incredible because he said, look, I'm here to show off what I can do as well. And he did an incredible job of doing exactly that. There was, as you mentioned, no fear. He took it personally. He took tough shots, made great reads. And just from the first half, right, he really dominated and said, you know what? I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to come out here on the front foot. I'm going to hit you in the mouth. And I want to see how you react with Scoot's, I guess, is his his mindset walking into it. And uh, it was beautiful to watch. And as, Corey, you and I are huge fans of Scoot, to see him come out with that mentality because – Corey, people can talk the talk, but for you to actually step out there on the court knowing who's in the stands, all 30 NBA teams being in the stands, he was like, no, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. And it was really, really encouraging to watch. Uh, No doubt about it. And I think it's funny. You know, we we saw we sat next to Scoot at Summer League for Spurs Cavs, like Summer League game. It was in the, the small gym. 
and not a soul knew who he was. And that was in July. Right. It's a few months later. And in that same scenario, he couldn't walk through that gym. Correct. So, I, I, I mean, that's uh, how well he performed that he is now like already, I think, a, a household name amongst like NBA fans. But I'll tell you what was the most impressive thing to me about Scoot's game. Because, yeah, you saw the athleticism. He knocked down some shots because it, it wasn't the shot making. It was definitely him stepping up to the moment. Right. Because um, I still think that once we get into this long 50 game G League season, we're going to see a lot of stretches where scoot struggles with his jumper right even in the second game you know he really didn't play much of the second game he played in the first quarter bang knees with victor and then you know they they took him and removed him from the game but his first jumper like basically broke the backboard like it yeah. was so far off like it, it was crazy so yeah like in the the first game knocking down the threes hitting the jumper over victor all that super impressive but i know that he still has that to work on what was so even more impressive to me was how well he controlled the pick and roll and serving as a playmaker and the pace in which he played. And he was doing stuff that veterans in the NBA could dream of doing. You know, there, there's only so many guys that could do it. And I think when we talk about some of these athletic point guards that we're going to compare him to throughout this process, you know, he's at least as good as any of them as far as vision and understanding. Cause how he worked the pick and roll he was hitting the roll man so often and it was because he's putting pressure on the rim and he hit enough of his mid-range jumpers that you had to play him there and every time he took one step closer to the rim he had the big man had to come just a little bit closer to him because he know you know he could explode at any any point you can't give him that runway and when he did that as soon as you stepped up he would drop it off with a little bounce pass giving you know his big man like a layup or a dunk um, and he did it repeatedly. And I honestly, like, I think that hitting the role man like that is kind of a lost art. It's almost like, I, I feel like we've been accustomed to seeing a lot of playmakers like, a who were operating out of pick and roll, like making kind of like the, the read maybe to a shooter instead of the role man. And, and scoot had such control that he was able to do it repeatedly just because of the pace in which he played. Now, on the other hand, he also made some really impressive weak side hits coming off the screen when he was drawing and, and his gravity just coming off a screen to the left. He, he made a, a wicked like one hand baseball pass to the weak side corner uh, on the right side of the court. So he did all that, too. But I just thought the way he operated out of the pick and roll as a passer to the roll man just wowed me because he did it repeatedly. Right. Right. No, Corey, I, I think the best way to put it is. Uh, if we talk in football terms, like, you know, you have some quarterbacks that you would consider like a college level quarterback, right? A guy who's going to make one read, who's going to, he's going to kind of come into the game with a script, know that on this play, this is my main read. I'm going to get it to him. If that breaks down, he can't really process what the defense is doing and then adjust to the next receiver, right? Let's say pre-snap. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to the X receiver over here. I know that I'm going to make that throw. If the defense takes that away, he's kind of lost. The thing that was so impressive about Scoot is his processing was unbelievable. And Corey, that's something that you really emphasized to me when we were together at Summer League. And you were telling me about shooters and their process and how they attack and how they react to the defense and how as you mature and you become a higher level player, 
the timing and patience and execution of how you go through your process really separates the good to the great to the elite, right? The thing that was so impressive with, with Scoot that I want to agree with you on is that as he was manipulating the pick and roll, Every time you run the pick and roll, it's not going to be the same outcome. Although NBA 2K, you might get the same outcome every <laughs> single time. In real life, it doesn't work like that. Defenders are going to react. Defenders, there are so many different variables that could happen. The thing that was so beautiful about Scoot is that as he was running the pick and roll, sometimes his big would come off clean, roll right away, and there's an easy pass there. Sometimes his big man would get caught up a little bit, take him an extra half step second. Scoot would see that know that watch how the defense reacts he'd give a little hesitation and still deliver the pass perfectly to his role man so court the thing that impressed me so much was as you mentioned the manipulation of the pick and roll and then also the layers off of that right like as all the attention and the magnitude of the pick and roll happens then it opens up some of the exterior things like a weak side hit or whatever but the thing is the timing of it all and the patience of how he operated in that space and made these high-level reads was like, it was, I, I don't know. I can't think of anything better than like Dexter's Laboratory. Like you have this like <laughs> little kid who can do so much at a young age and it's kind of freaky. But Scoot was the same way. The nuance and timing and precision of the passing that goes beyond just one level, but he can take it two or three levels and is reading the defense while he's doing it was so freaking impressive dude yeah he's he's a guy who plays well beyond his years i thought you know defensively he had some really impressive moments i mean he he moves his feet he he bodies up it's gonna be really fun to watch his progress throughout a 50 game season right like no the g league guys were not used to that long maybe 20 games right i mean like the first year they were playing in the bubble their game so it was even harder because you know, those flat stats were kind of inflated uh, a little bit, mm-hmm. but you're going to get to see him go through ups and downs and, and trials and tribulations and face adversity. And you're going to see him be awesome and you're going to see him struggle. And it's just going to be a really fun journey to watch. Now let's talk about Victor because um, Victor has not left the number one spot on my big board. Yeah. But like you said, we were hard on him because I think that when you are labeled as potentially the greatest prospect ever or the greatest prospect since LeBron James, you deserve to, you know, be looked at and, and talked about without just saying he's awesome. He's this, he's that like, he, you know, he's got real stuff that he needs to work on. If he's going to fulfill his destiny of like modern Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So watching him, I was like, I want to see if he can actually, if he shows improvements in any of the things that we want to see improvement on, because the one thing that we haven't seen from him is we haven't seen what he looks like with the NBA context, NBA rules, NBA spacing, right? We've seen the European stuff. We've seen the FIBA stuff and it's, it's different. The rules are different. You know, the, the spacing's different. What was he going to look like in an NBA context? And could he take some of those weaknesses and with the extra space and, the different rules. Can he take advantage of that? And oh boy, did he. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I mean, watching that, you know, cause I thought that, uh, you know, he came on a little bit slow, you know, like he didn't come out of the gate like scoot did where I was like, wow, this is the Victor game. But then when he turned it on, it was on and it kept going. And, uh, I mean, 37 points in the first game, 36 in the second game. 
I mean, he hit, you know, shots off the bounce, step back, movement shots. I thought that he got to the rim and he finished through contact. I thought, you know, his, he wasn't settling as much for like really tough fadeaways. Like he still went to that, but he used it more as a weapon instead of a crutch. I just, I was like, oh my God, I'm blown away by, by the, the kid because everything looked great. I mean, the shots were falling and that's great. Sometimes they're not going to fall and it'll look less great, but offensively I thought he was still finding ways to score like even if he didn't knock down what was seven threes or six or whatever it was he still would have got to 25 points because he was getting to the free throw line he was you know he was just being aggressive in ways that we wanted him to be aggressive right like and I think the NBA context helped that I think the moment helped that and I I can only imagine what seeing some of this stuff live looked like because you know if you say yeah just seeing him was jarring I mean what was it like watching him take like a fall away three from the right corner where he's like falling out of bounds and, you know, swishing nothing but net. Uh, it was alarming, Corey. It was alarming. A uh, cup of tea in French, I believe is tasse de thé. <laughs> and uh, the NBA game is uh, Victor Wambanyama's tasse de thé because this dude had an absolute, it was like, he was like a kid in the candy store. Now, Corey, I do want to agree with you. That first half was not electric. It wasn't. And I feel like maybe, you know, he's feeling stuff out. He wanted to, you know, get a, maybe there are some nerves involved. Maybe he needed to, you know, get a better feel of, I don't know, the Nevada air. I'm not sure. But the first <laughs> half was a little underwhelming. I mm-hmm. will not lie. But in that second half, the way that he was moving and draining threes and playing like a very fluid, free type of basketball, it was like, okay, cool. So we're going to take this guy at that size with that type of fluidity and jump shot. We're going to put him in the NBA. This is going to work okay. Like, yeah, I, I think it's going to work okay. <laughs> I think NBA teams are going to be pretty happy with this guy on their squad. But, Corey, I, I will say um, it was a thing where eventually Rucker and I were just laughing. Like there really is no other reaction to it other than to laugh because it's so strange and different. And I think even in the aftermath of being there in Vegas for the next couple of weeks, just watching back at the highlights, because because we saw it live, it's different watching it live and on tape, of course, uh, although I will argue watching it live is pretty awesome, guys. I know some people believe in the <laughs> tape watching stuff. I won't. Whatever. But anyway, I, watching it live was awesome. And uh, watching it on tape afterwards, it was like, oh, wow, like. This is pretty ridiculous what he was doing even in the moment. Uh, But to see it again on tape, it's like, this is special. This is truly, truly special. And he is worthy of all the hype that he's getting. But you know what's really crazy, Corey? The most jarring part of his offensive game to watch live is the high release on his jump shot. It literally feels like he has a ball on top of a ladder and then he's throwing it at the rim. Like it's (laughs) no one's blocking that. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, you know how a lot of, you know, teams will do, like, drills with players going to the rim and they'll use, like, a foam arm or something? Yeah, it's like a baseball bat with, like, a pad on top. No, even even that thing is not blocking his jump shot. It's it's (laughs) freakish, dude. It's like the head of a giraffe spitting a ball at the hoop is what it's like. It's freaking (laughs) unbelievable. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun, dude. Yeah, I... uh... I've like ser- given serious consideration to be like, how do I get to France this year <laughs> to, to go see him live? <laughs> you know, like what? Who? Who's taller, Victor Wembanyama or the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> Draw. <laughs> Did anybody else from the game impress you outside of you know Victor and and, and Scoot? 
Yes, I very much wanted to talk about this. This is kind of one of my big notes here. Uh, wanted to mention, number one, Leonard Miller, bad at basketball. <laughs> not ready. Kid's not ready. Not ready. Not ready. He's a long ways away. I know people liked him on Twitter and stuff, but uh, watching him live, it was like, okay, so this guy is like three years away from being three years away. Um, a lot of work needs to be done with Leonard Miller. When he shoots a basketball, there are a lot of moving pieces. That's not a lot of fun or aesthetically pleasing to watch. The guy that I really enjoyed watching a lot, his name is Mojave King. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he's uh, from Australia, if I'm not wrong, but or New Zealand. But he was very solid, Corey. He felt like, uh, you know, the G League Ignite every year, they have some veterans. They still have Pujetter on the team. They try to incorporate some older guys. Mojave King is a young guy, but plays like an older guy. So you can understand the rationale as to why they added him to this team. You know, he's not starting for them, but he comes off the bench. He gives them a lot of composure and poise on the court. He's, it feels like he's not getting sped up. He plays a very good role for them. Um, just a rock-solid player that I think is going to have a role in the NBA. I think he's a guy, even while in Vegas, he hit some threes, and that was kind of one of the things on him before um, he got here uh, playing for the G League that you know his shot needs to improve. His jumper actually looks improved, and his floor game is really nice, makes a lot of good decisions, but also he fills a lot of gaps and holes all over the court. So I was very impressed with Mojave King, actually, and I think he's going to be good. And the last guy that I wanted to mention who was a you know big uh, Hoop Summit name and a guy that, you know, garnered some attention as he recently signed a seven-figure deal with the G League Ignite. Uh, His name is Lyndon Johnson, I believe, right? I think it's Lyndon Johnson. Uh, Watching him warm up, he never got to play, but we watched him warm up a couple times. Uh, Good-looking jump shot, actually. Um, it, It goes in, like, a lot. And uh, he, he looked pretty fluid, and the jump shot looks good in warm-ups. My thing is his body is very far away from being NBA-ready. Uh, Scoot is absolutely massive, Corey. I can't emphasize that <laughs> enough. His body almost looks like prime D-Wade. His back and his traps and his shoulders are absolutely massive. And if he were to go up against NBA guys, they would absolutely feel him, is how physically advanced he is. London Johnson is the uh, stark contrast of that. He is he looks very much like a high, high school sophomore who still needs to develop. Uh, but the jump shot is good, so maybe there's still potential there, but was not very impressed by his frame at all. He's a 2024 guy. So that's kind of why he didn't play in the games, why he signed when he did. That way he wasn't eligible for the 2023 and he'd be draft eligible for 2024. Um, In the Hoop Summit game last year, you know, I I thought he really looked like physically he was struggling. Um, Didn't really impress me, but I think he's got two years now in this Ignite program. So he's going to be working with pro trainers. He is going to be you know, in a pro program for two years. So I think that for a guy like him, it's probably really smart for, for him to go this route. What I will say by watching this G league ignite team. And and I felt this way coming in, but I feel like the first two games and it's only two games and they're playing a long, long, long season, a, a longer season than any of these kids have really ever played this G league ignite team. Um, as far as the prospects go, I think that it's, the least impressive group that they've had so far. Obviously Scoot is a part of that. So that might put it more towards the top than the bottom because Scoot is, um, you know, an an unbelievable prospect that doesn't come along quite often. I think you could make an argument that 
him and Victor, like two of the best prospects we've had in, you know, maybe since like Luca since Zion. Um, so, but I think the rest of the guys, like, I think there's a chance that scoot could be the only one who goes in the first round. You know, I, I, I look at, you know, like where did Marjan Bochamp go last year? Jaden Hardy. Like, yeah. I, I think that these, the rest of these guys, like they're probably, they're in second round territory for me right now and and that might be you know being kind for a lot of them because i you know I, I don't think i'm not sure I, I mean it's way too early to tell but i just think from initial observations initial feelings i think this is a a, a pretty weak team outside of scoot as far as prospects go i agree with that Corey, 100 percent. and i think in a lot of ways um that might actually be beneficial for scoot um, because the guys that are on his team are more of these supporting role type of players. And I think that'll really enable Scoot to kind of be the orchestrator of the offense by himself and really dictate the terms of what they do offensively. And in that way, he's going to be able to shine a ton and get a ton of on-ball reps and not worry so much about sharing the rock or in terms of, you know, you know what I mean? Like sharing yeah. the spotlight or anything. He's just going to be, He's going to be the engine of that team, and I think that's really great for him and his stock. But uh, you're 100% right. The, the team is not chock full of high, high-end talent like we've seen the last two years. Yeah. Uh, before we take a quick break, uh, shout out to everybody watching um, live. Make sure that you know you hit you subscribe to the No Ceilings TV YouTube channel and uh, hit the like button for us. That would be dope. And Mr. Ray says the showcase confirmed two things for me. One. Uh, a healthy Victor will run the league by his second season. I love that. And two, Scoot is a worthy first overall pick. And um, healthy Victor running the league by his second season, I think, feels early to me. I think it, you know, it, it took LeBron a pretty long time to run the league. Um, you know, you're still going to have Jokic. You're still going to have Giannis. You're still going to have Embiid. I get what you're saying though. He's going to be, he's going to fit right in with that group. And, you know, I, I think before we, we transitioned, you know, last week I wrote a piece about high school LeBron and going back, watching his film and trying to figure out what I could learn to make me a better scout for a guy like Victor, for a guy like Scoot to, and, and other guys like Amen Thompson, um, you know, who other guys in this class. And it's that the, the big takeaways were that like, when you see somebody who's special, a lot of times you can nitpick all the little finer details all you want, but there are some things that are just innate and that you can't teach and that will make up for some of those other things. And I think that definitely goes for Victor as we watch him, you know, you know, he recently after these G League games, he's had games where he was less impressive and he had tough halves and, you know, he was struggling in different points because he's not playing in an NBA context. And, you know, sometimes he's going to miss shots. But um, going back, watching LeBron help, helps you realize because LeBron <laughs> watching it like there were a lot of games. I was like, this is underwhelming. Like, mm -hmm. this is not the greatest prospect of all time what mm -hmm. I'm watching right now. And then, you know, I turned on another game and he goes for 52 against Trevor Ariza's high school team. And he's knocking down all these shots that he was airballing the game before. And, you know, he's getting out in transition and you're realizing like, wait a minute, LeBron hasn't run one high ball screen yet. Like he's playing out of the post and, you know, he's playing more like a, a big or a power forward and not getting as many wing reps unless he's like bringing the ball up the court off a rebound. And, you know, it's, you know, the game was different 20 years ago, but I think with Victor, 
the game is going to be different 10 years from now when he's 10 years into the league too. And um, we could look back at some of his like moments in France and be like, you know, I can't believe he played like that when, you know, mm-hmm. now he's playing like this. So, uh, but uh, yeah, he's, he'll fit right in, but um, all right, let's take a quick break. And then uh, we'll talk about the trip that I went on this weekend to uh, New Jersey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, uh, we're back like we never left. Um, so not as fun as seeing Victor and <laughs> Scoot, uh, Scoot Henderson, I'm sure. But this past uh, weekend, I went to Roselle Catholic in New Jersey to watch two of the G, uh, two of the overtime elite teams play two kind of like all-star teams from the New York, New Jersey area. Um, so it was a doubleheader and the first game was the young dreamers, which is one of the overtime elite teams, uh, starring Nas Cunningham versus, uh, I believe they were the Northeast basketball club. And, uh, I was excited to watch this, this game because the young dreamers were headlined by Nas Cunningham, who is, uh, one of the, you know, best prospects. He's not. 2023 eligible i believe but and i think he's graduating i think he's class of 2024 um so he's years away from entering the league but i was really excited to get an up close look at him and walking on the court taking video you know watching them just in layup lines and and stuff i was like yo these guys are huge like they're they're huge and you know that's something that um I wasn't expecting because these are kids that are a lot of these kids are years away. You know, the, the one team from the overtime elite that I didn't see was the Thompson twins and the city reapers. So, um, but Nas Cunningham's like, he's got to be a legit, like six, seven, six, eight right now. Yeah. He's a couple of years away, but this kid is smooth, man. Like what he was doing was absolutely effortless. Um, he came out, of the he only played one half because in the second half, early in the second half, he drove to the hoop, got fouled, and he twisted his ankle and he he didn't return to the game. But in the first half, I want to say he maybe missed one shot. And he was knocking down threes. He's got a smooth, buttery jump shot, like effortless, off the bounce, off the catch, great touch. He had this one finish driving in the lane where he kind of did like a body contortion and still finished. Um, he's just, he's really lengthy. He's get you know, getting his hands active in passing lanes. And um, he's just like a modern scoring forward, you know? And, and I kind of wonder like just based on his skill set and his size, like it almost feels like he's closer to what we were hoping Amani Bates could be mm. than Amani Bates is. Okay. But he was a real deal. I, th- you know, I think I was, I texted the group chat while I was there. I was like, yo, 
Nas Cunningham is the truth, which obviously should not be shocking considering he's like the number one ranked player in his class, right? But the kid's legit and he's already really big. <clears throat> so uh, as he continues to mature and grow, his frame, I think is he's going to be able to put on like some muscle and, and whatnot. But I was very impressed by by Nas Cunningham. Corey, I had a question. So you saw Nas and he was very, very impressive. Size is great. Jumper is great. All that stuff. I have more of like a big picture question because we mentioned this when we talked about Amen Thompson, about level of competition, structure, organization, all that stuff. After seeing them play live, and also they were not at like the whole overtime arena yeah. in Atlanta or whatever. What it, what were some of your uh, your takeaways about the overtime elite process and these quote unquote stud prospects choosing to play in that format rather than either the G League or college? Honestly, I was really impressed by it. Um, I think that you know these kids. I I, I think last year was a you know, there was probably going to be less talent, you know, it was less, it was the first year. So there, there was bound to be some, you know, growing pains, so to say, but I think that this year they're adding three outside teams into the league. And I think they just got a lot of talent. Now I I do, I still think it's going to be kind of hard, like, you know, um, analyzing the Thompson twins in games against some of these teams. Cause like one of the guys I want to talk about Bryson Tiller, who was one of the most impressive prospects I watched this weekend. He's a 2026 draft kid. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. He's like, he's a 2026 draft kid. So, you know, how do you accurately, you know, uh, talk about the Thompson twins against a kid like that when, he's playing, you know, he's like a freshman versus, you know, going up against Jarris Walker, you know, and, or, or Hami Hakez. It's hard. So I, I still think that I'm going to struggle with that, but I think from a development standpoint and what they're doing with the kids, I do, I do really like it. I think that like Ryan Gomes was the coach of the cold hearts, which was the second overtime elite team that I watched. They have Bryson Tiller, this kid, Bryson Tiller. He's the fifth ranked kid in his class. I think by the time he gets to his draft here, he might be the number one ranked kid in his class. I was floored by this kid. But Ryan Gomes, who was coaching them, that's Ryan Gomes, former Celtic. Mm-hmm. He's he's doing a fucking awesome job, man. Like in this all-star, you know, this kind of like exhibition with the, with, kids that they were playing from the New York, New Jersey area and, and legit kids, you know, like the, the cold hearts were playing Sim uh, Wilcher, who I'll talk about uh, in, in a bit. Cause he's going to UN, UNC next year, but Ryan Gomes has these kids playing disciplined defense where they are in the right spots off ball. He's communicating everything. He's telling each guy something different and what to look for and where to be. Um, they're talking constantly. I just like, I was like, wow, you know, like he's the perfect kind of coach for a group like this. Mm. And uh, I, I think when I look at, you know, a kid like Bryson Tiller, who's the fifth ranked kid in his class. And he has all these years where he's eligible to go to college. 
I see the benefit for a kid like him to go to the overtime elite program versus going and playing at maybe Montverde or, or a prolific prep or something like that. Like, I think that in that context, this overtime program is going to be amazing um, for these kids development. Cause they're playing a lot of high level talent, a lot of kids that are, you know, going to be going, you know, cause this is, we also have to realize like a lot of the kids this year that have come on to, into the program, they're bypassing the money, mm-hmm. the guaranteed money. And instead they're doing the NIL deals where they could still make money off their name image likeness, but they're also going to be eligible for to go to college. Right. So, uh, Kanan Car- Carlisle, he's going, he's committed to Stanford right now. And, you know, he was playing with Nas Cunningham. So like they're playing with talent that is going to be able to use this experience as a springboard for the next step. And I think that's the right move for the overtime elite. I, I think that the Thompson twins, they are special athletes with a lot of talent. And I really don't think it's going to hurt their draft stock the same way it might have like Jan Montero, um, so, uh, you know, in, in that context, I think guys who are like just going there as a springboard to make the next level to the draft, I think that's up in the air. That's a little iffy, but just using their, their platform for these younger kids to grow and play against top end talent. Um, that I, I think is the direction that they're going to keep moving into. And I think it's really smart and I think it's really good for these kids. I, I think the point that you make, Corey, is really interesting just because, I mean, first off, the Thompson twins are going to be just fine. The way They'll that people the way that people are talking about them on Twitter, they're like the second coming of Jesus. But um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch because this feels like the first step into something that Europe has had for a very long time. So if you look at soccer teams in England, they have academies yeah. where they're they're picking up kids that are 10 years old, 11 years old that are playing under their team colors and academies. And they, they, you know, they get the whole shebang until they're old enough to like, they're like 16, 17 and can sign their first professional contracts. It seems like the overtime elite is a version of that. Now, Mm -hmm. of course the overtime elite doesn't have any affiliation with the NBA or any NBA teams, but this is something that I feel like has been coming for a long time where I imagine these kids at the overtime elite are focusing way more on basketball and way less on academics and stuff like that, because that kind of makes sense. You know, I'm sure they are getting an education. I'm not saying they're not getting an education, but um, it, it's something we've seen in Europe for a very long time. And it makes sense because so it's it's very satisfying and cool to see these kids that you've seen since they were 10 years old and were in your system and program eventually playing for your team. And, you know, the overtime elite is not exactly that, but it's cool to see that we're taking a step in that direction and, in a year, two years, five years from now, I think we're going to talk a lot about how this started. And I think there will be a lot of development because it seemed like it seems like the overtime elite just decided to do something that nobody else is doing. And it's a great idea. And so the execution of it last year may not have been perfect, but as time goes on, it looks like it's just going to get more interesting. Yeah. And that's exactly how I described it to somebody this week who was kind of like asking me to explain, like, you know, they, Cause like you, like my friends know what's up, but you know, the people that are in the periphery of my life, you know, when I tell them, they're like, so what is the overtime? And I'm, I kind of explain them they're, they're It's like a football Academy, you know, where it, it almost feels like they're, these kids are, are kind of like child actors, you know? And like, yeah, like you said, they're probably they're They have to go to school obviously. Right. Like right. they have like, but 
they probably, you know, have very structured like tutoring lessons versus like they're going to classes and their primary focus is preparing them for life in basketball. And I think in, in that regard, it's it's really cool because I, I think that a lot of these kids have some really like really high level potential that they'll be able to be uh, the most prepared that they could possibly be for for that next jump when it comes years from now. Because I'm telling you, like this kid Bryson Tiller, I, and I think I sent a clip in mm-hmm. in the group text of him like getting the ball on the block, just bully balling his way, and then turn around jumper from like the short corner. I mean this kid's like 15 <laughs> and he's like six, nine, <laughs> six, eight, huge frame. He played hard. He f- had this coast to coast take in the open court where he threw down like this monster dunk. Um, and he just destroyed the rib. And, and as like, he reminds me of like, uh, like a Patrick Williams, like, um, you know, somebody like that who just, and already, and I was, I had to like, keep looking it up. I'm like, there's no way that this kid is only this, like, so the competition's good. I, I mean, you know, they, they had, um, I forgot what the kid's name is, but he was like, I think MVP of the FIBA U17s from, he's from, uh, Real Madrid. He's on one of the teams. Um, so I, I, I think it's a really good opportunity. And like I said, like these exhibitions, it's not like they were just playing some like no name kids. Like there's this kid in the first game, um, Tahad Pennington. He has uh, offers from Auburn and Kansas right now. He was the second best player on the floor, like behind Nas Cunningham. Wow. I mean, I was so impressed by this kid. He's a lefty, uh, just an unbelievable shot maker, like buttery smooth stroke was hitting these shots off the bounce. But I mean, he was getting into the paint. He had these like crazy Euro steps that were so fluid. He was finishing with both hands, um, super athletic. One of the possessions he drove baseline and made a, a live dribble, you know, hit to the weak side wing with his off hand. Like, and he had this confidence about him that I was like, yo, I gotta, I gotta follow what this kid's doing over, you know, the, the next year or so before he, he gets to college. Cause this kid is, he could really play. Um, he was playing in the backcourt with Elijah Gertrude, who's committed to Virginia. And he reminded me in a lot of ways of like Tyrese Maxey without the jumper, just like a, an obsessive driver, um, mm. attacks the rim. Like he wants to destroy it. And Tahad Peddington at one point threw him an alley-oop that I'm sure you could find on YouTube that he must have caught he caught with two hands and he he had to be at the top of the square like this kid was so athletic so bouncy um they were really competing on the team they had a kid committed to yukon uh so you know they, they're playing real competition uh the other game uh with the cold hearts which first uh quickly i want to mention trey parker who you know i i posted a video on on uh tiktok and and youtube which has done really well. This kid's like, he's listed at six one. I don't think he is six one. He's probably closer to like five eleven, six foot. And he has I some of the most impressive bounce that I've seen in person. Uh, he was doing between the leg dunks, just cocking it back. And uh, he wears number 69. So I think Trey Parker is a cool guy. And uh, he was a lot of fun. But yeah, Sim, 
on they were playing against um the Tri City All Stars, mm. I think they're called. And Sim Welcher, this kid is right now he's ranked 19 on ESPN, um for the class of 2023. He's going to North Carolina. This kid can hoop, man. And um, you know his coach had hit me up uh, a couple of months ago. You know, be like, oh, if you want it, you got to check out my guy Sim. Um, he's also got a guy on on the Roselle Catholic team uh, with Sim Wheeler, who's going to uh, Duke. And um, so there, that's a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good squad. Not but bad. this kid Sim, man, six three, beautiful stroke, un- unbelievably tight handle, like likes to move off the ball, like unselfish, makes plays for each other. I can't wait to watch this kid. You know, next year at at North Carolina, like he seems like he could slide in and take Caleb Love's place, you know, right away, like a similar, very similar type of player, tough shot maker. So there was just a lot of talent at, at these two, um, two games, man, like between the overtime elite teams and the, you know, the two all-star teams put together from the area, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to, to the overtime elite people for, you know, um, setting that up for, for myself. And, uh, I'm really excited now. They really got me juiced because, you know, next week, uh, I'm going to the overtime elite pro day in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so I'm going to get an up close look at all these guys again, get an up close look at the Thompson twins, um, which I'm, I'm really excited to see because some of the, the athleticism of some of these kids popped in a way I wasn't expecting. Right. And the Thompson twins, like, they're more athletic than these kids. So I'm excited about that. But the, the one thing I do want to say and shout out to all the kids, um, not only in the overtime program, but on the, the two all-star teams, I was so impressed by how they handled themselves with all of the kids that asked them for pictures or, or autographs or whatever. Cause I mean, I mean, it was just so cool to see these kids hang out in this high school gym. I mean, really there's no you know, there's security there, but there's no security, right? Like these kids, they could walk around in between games at halftime. They're shooting on the courts and like, you know, the guy, the, the guys on the overtime team, you know, Kanan Carlisle, he's rebounding for these kids. Like it was really cool to see them um, not only like go out, compete, but also like showing a, um, a level of humility and just being humble about their position and giving back to the kid that came out to see them. That was really cool. And, uh, really impressed me. Cause you know, you, if you're a kid who's famous when you're a uh, 13 years old online, you're getting mixtapes and you know, you're going viral, you have an Instagram following and all that. It's, it's hard to, to keep that level of humility and these kids all had it. So shout out to all those guys for, you know, sticking around and, you know, hanging out with all the fans and stuff. That was really cool to see. <laughs> I can't I can't even imagine being that age and then getting asked for <laughs> autographs like what that would have done to my ego but uh <laughs> respect to those kids awesome yeah respect man it was really cool I think that's that's all I got I mean I you know I was impressed by Nas I was impressed by Peddington um Carlisle Bryson Tiller uh I thought that um Tyler Smith had had some moments um uh, again Sim Welcher you know uh Keel Watson he's headed to Arizona State um you know, he, he looked pretty decent. So a lot of, a lot of talent. And again, shout out to Ryan Gomes, who's doing a, a phenomenal job with that cold hearts team. And I can't wait to see how they develop. All I'll say is Corey, when you get to the overtime lead uh, pro day, 
Make sure you tell Amen Thompson I said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Will do. Oh <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, look, I think that's going to do it for the last episode of the Draft Act NBA Draft Podcast on the Draft Act NBA Draft podcast feed because as we said at the top of the show we are moving over to the no ceilings nba draft feed so if you have not already head over to that feed and subscribe so starting the week of monday october 24th you could stay locked in for five day a week coverage of the no ceilings uh nba draft team we will be on either on wednesdays or thursdays and um we're very excited i know you know the home and away podcast you've been cooking up you know, a, a theme for your show for a while. So I'm excited to, you know, listen to that when you get on your Tuesdays, that'll be on home and away will be on Tuesdays. Um, and then we also announced that we have a preseason draft guide coming out. Uh, and we have new merch coming out. So uh, next week, Monday, October 24th is going to be a big week for the no ceilings team. And uh, we're excited to see everybody, everybody there. So shout out, to everyone um make sure you stay locked in because it's going to be a really fun 2023 nba draft cycle and uh we have a lot of stuff in store so uh it's been real on this podcast feed everyone and until next time you know for one last time on this feed we out peace peace